Well, here we are on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, usually, uh, each year, I would ask those who have served in the military or are currently serving in the military to stand so we could honor them. Uh, unfortunately, we can't do that this year for obvious reasons, but I just want to still express my gratitude and this church's gratitude to all those who are in our community and in our church uh, who have sacrificed uh, their time uh, and themselves uh, to serving in our country's uh, armed forces. Uh, and we, we also want to remember and honor those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, uh, their lives uh, for our country and for our freedom. So I just want to, I want to thank God for you. Thank you for, for, for what you've done and everything you continue to do. As we turn our attention to uh, worshiping our Lord, uh, I, 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 we continue to be in this uh, unprecedented, difficult, trying time. And we may feel like we're in the middle of a storm. And as the winds and rain and crashing thunder and blinding lightning are going on all around us, metaphorically speaking, uh, as we continue to go through this life, we may be tempted to be dismayed. We may be tempted to be in despair or confused or, or hopeless. Uh, but God's word gives us so many truths, so many reasons to have hope, so many reasons uh, to, to know where our hope lies. It's in Jesus. And because of that, we, we have hope in this life and we have hope for the next life. And so even though we're going through different storms of life, and especially as we go through this storm of life, we can always raise a hallelujah, even in the midst of that storm. Oh, 
Last week, we talked about how Jesus chose three of the 12 disciples to accompany him up to a mountain, Peter, John, and James. These guys probably just thought they were going with Jesus to be with him while he prayed. After all, he would, he would often go to remote places to pray anyways. They just thought nothing was out of the ordinary. They had no clue, no clue what was going to happen at some point while they were up on that hillside with Jesus. All of a sudden, the true glory of Jesus as the second person of the Trinitarian Godhead, shone out of every pore of his body and out of every thread of his clothing. And if that wasn't mind-blowing enough, a minute later, Elijah and Moses appeared and started having a conversation with Jesus about his impending death. And as if that wasn't enough, a cloud exactly reminiscent of that which was a manifestation of God's presence that hovered over the tabernacle appeared. And out of it came a voice that said that it was the Father and confirmed that Jesus was his Son. This symbolized the glory of Almighty God now residing in Jesus. And no one had to look any further to see God's glory. Jesus was it. Peter understood what was going on and what was the whole point. Like we talked about last week, Peter understood this as what it was and that it was a glimpse into the coming future kingdom of Jesus on earth. He didn't get his understanding of the timing, right? But he understood the point of it. If you missed that message uh, on a lot of what was going on during this extraordinary event known as the Transfiguration, that's up on our plat podcast platforms and our website and our Facebook page. I wanted to give just a brief reminder of what happened because it directly informs what immediately happens next as recorded in Matthew. This was a breathtaking experience. Imagine it. Imagine being those guys up there and seeing all of this. Something that these three guys would always remember for the rest of their lives. It was unlike anything that had ever happened and would ever happen until Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom. Imagine being a part of an event that was so extraordinary and so insanely supernatural, it never happened before and would never happen again until the end times of the world. That's incredible. But something else had been going on. Something else had been going on at the foot of the mountain. While all this that we just talked about was going on on the mountainside. And it was the complete opposite of the transfiguration experience. All while the glory of God was shining out of Jesus and Elijah and Moses were showing up and Father God was appearing in a bright cloud and confirming Jesus' kingship and messiahship, as pointed out by one biblical scholar, there was something sinister and dark happening at the foot of the mountain. It reminds me of when Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the law from Almighty God and having this incredibly supernatural experience. And all the while there was something sinister and dark and evil going on at the foot of the mountain with the people that he left behind. 
While Moses is up on the mountain as the representative of Israel before the God of the universe, God tells him that he better go back down to stop his people from the evil they were engaged in. Talk about embarrassing. When Moses gets within sight distance of the Israelite camp, he sees that a golden calf idol had been built by his own brother, and a lot of the nation was worshiping it. But when Jesus, Peter, John, and James come back down from the mountain they were on, they discover this dark spiritual battle going on, which must have started while they were experiencing the transfiguration up on the mountainside. As one biblical scholar notes, when Jesus and his inner circle, these three guys, rejoin where they had left the rest of the disciples, a crowd had already begun to form because something strange was going on. We pick up in Matthew 17, 14 through 20, in the first couple of verses there, and we read, At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or, the, or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. As an interesting side note, the Greek word for someone who suffered from seizures, at least in this description of this condition, right here in our passage today, is a word that is derived from a word meaning the moon. People believed that those suffering from what this little boy was suffering from were being influenced by the moon. And when the moon was in a certain phase, they were rendered powerless and would be thrown into epileptic episodes. It may have been a human attempt to explain what was going on. But in our passage today, what we also see is a huge spiritual component going on here. Because we find out by the end of this that this was actually demonically influenced. But let's just rewind a tiny bit. Why we know that this had been going on and developing while Jesus was being transfigured up on the mountain is that we find out from this little boy's father that when he tells Jesus that the other disciples had already been trying to cure him. They'd already been trying to cure him, but they'd been failing. This would have taken some time. The other nine disciples apparently understood that this was demonic oppression, but were unable to do anything about it. So while there was this highly visible supernatural experience that was confirming Jesus as the one who would usher in God's kingdom on earth up on the mountain, there was this other dark spiritual battle going on behind the scenes at the foot of the mountain. It was the enemy trying to undermine everything that had just happened up on the mountain. Say, you're so powerful, Jesus, your followers, they can't even cast out, they can't even simply cast out one demon. It was meant to undermine everything that had just happened up on that mountain. The victim in all of this was this little boy who would be so overcome by demonic oppression that he would throw himself into fire and almost drown himself in water. Put yourself in his father's shoes. 
Imagine having to be on guard constantly and watching your child constantly to make sure he didn't severely burn himself or drown himself. That's pretty scary. That's pretty scary and it's pretty draining. Pretty draining stuff. And I'm sure the father could not perfectly keep his son from harm. So his son probably had already suffered a lot of physical pain, especially from burns and perhaps even brain damage from his seizures. This was a very sad situation, a very desperate situation. And so, in desperation, this father finds out that Jesus is somewhere near, but when he gets there, he only finds some of his disciples. So as verse 16 describes, he figured he had nothing to lose in asking his disciples to try to cure his son. We're not sure if the father understood if his son was demonically oppressed or if he was tremendously confused and had some people telling him it was because of the moon and others were telling him other things and he didn't know what to think about what was going on to his poor son. All this father knew was that there was something terribly wrong with his son and wanted more than anything, anything in the world to help him. You may know, or you'll come in contact with different people during this current crisis who are in the same boat in their confusion. They're getting all sorts of messages from all sorts of different people, and they don't know what to think about what's going on. But guess what? You do. You knew you know, as Jesus knew and would rebuke his disciples for, that our only hope comes from our faith in Jesus. And guess what? God orchestrated things so that you would be near that person bringing up their confusion and fear. The other nine disciples were useless in helping out this desperate, confused and hopeless father. They were useless. They served no purpose in this, except to be rebuked, except to be a teaching point. But God has given us exactly what we need to be useful in helping others who are desperate, confused, and hopeless during this difficult time. We have the good news. We have the hope that can give people peace in this time. He has given us his Holy Spirit, and he has given us his power, his boldness, his strength to be a light in the midst of this darkness. The other nine disciples had apparently forgotten something. I don't know what they had been doing all this time, but apparently it was not in faith. As one biblical scholar points out, Jesus not only rebukes his disciples, but also turns to the crowd that had gathered around to watch what was going on and rebukes them, too, with what he says. The little boy had apparently been creating quite a scene at that point to gather such a, a large crowd. And Jesus turns to everyone and says in Matthew 17, 17, you faithless and corrupt people. How would you like to be told that bold-faced by Jesus himself? <laughs> you faithless and corrupt people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? 
And then he says, bring the boy here to me. Jesus is appalled at how much his disciples and the crowd around them, many of whom had already probably heard him all this time teach about faith and the kingdom of God, and they still don't get it. They still don't get it. And he wonders aloud what more he needs to do and say to get things through their skulls. What must, what more do I have to do to get through to you people? Later, Jesus will explain to his disciples the importance of what even the tiniest amount of faith will do in different situations, especially in ones having to do with spiritual warfare. We know these verses very well, but often don't think about them. As recorded in Matthew 17, 20 through 21, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, he's probably pointing at the mountain he was just transfigured upon, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Nothing would be impossible. Jesus' point was that in every situation, if we have a faith of knowing that God can and oftentimes will bring healing, provide a miraculous escape, give provision out of nowhere, or free from spiritual oppression, we must ask him with that confidence. And as Jesus says elsewhere, we must ask him often, like an annoying person who keeps knocking on God's door at all hours of the day or night. It's me again. But we also do this asking in confidence with the knowledge that God has his own plan and is working everything out according to it. We ask in confidence and we ask in confidence frequently because we know that God will very often grant those requests as glimpses of his future kingdom. After all, the Apostle James says, you don't have what you want because you don't even bother to ask for it or you ask with evil intentions. But as we ask the mightiest being who has ever existed and ever will exist for our requests, we also know that he has his own reasons for what he will do. And if our requests take decades to come to fruition, or God just straight up says no to our requests, we must be okay with that. We must be okay with that. We must know that he has something else in the works going on behind the scenes and trust him with that. We make our requests known to God in confidence and in persistence, knowing that no matter what happens, no matter how he answers those prayers, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, we know, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. It's a promise we always have to rest in. So just as there is an unseen spiritual war going on all around us, where the enemy is trying to use this crisis as much as possible to stir up 
fear, to stir up anxiety and depression and hopelessness. There is also another unseen movement going on, and that is the working out of God's perfect plan for the good of those who love him. We may not always agree with everything that he does, but that's okay. We can still confidently approach his throne with our requests, knowing he is our good and perfect father. And here's why. When we think of good earthly fathers, when we think of good earthly fathers, we know that they will stop at nothing, right? To, they will stop at nothing to provide food and clothing and shelter for their children. As Jesus said, how much more will our heavenly father provide for those needs? If you earthly fathers being selfish and evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your good and perfect heavenly father give you exactly what you need? When we also think of good earthly fathers, they will very often grant their kids requests out of love for them, and sometimes will say no, also out of love for them. In either case, we know that when we were kids, that didn't stop us from badgering our parents for what we wanted. The fact that mom or dad could say no didn't stop us from badgering them anyways, because there was still a chance, right? There was still a chance. We knew that very often times they would grant those requests, even though sometimes they would say no. We still had that confidence in asking them. That's how we should view our good and perfect Heavenly Father and the hope that we can offer to those who are desperate, confused, and hopeless, especially when it comes to this behind-the-scenes spiritual warfare that we and so many others are going through. There was never a demonically oppressed person that Jesus refused to heal. There was never a demonically oppressed person that Jesus refused to heal. God will always free us and will always heal us from spiritual oppression. So if you or someone else you know is suffering from spiritual oppression, know, full well, know that there can and will be freedom and healing from that. We have the power of the risen Christ and the Holy Spirit within us, and no power can touch that. No power can come anywhere near that strength of power. The enemy does not have any power that Jesus cannot and will not free us from. So, ask God for freedom from that, and know in confidence that he will free you from that. And walk into your future with confidence knowing that God will continue to free and continue to heal you from it. In addition, whatever suffering or confusion or depression or hopeless situation you find yourself in, especially dur during this time of national and local crisis, ask your Heavenly Father for a change and do so with confidence. Ask your Heavenly Father for a change and do so with confidence. He will always listen. He will always listen, just like a good earthly father will always listen. 
and keep asking. Be persistent. As Jesus talked about in a parable, God may just simply grant your, you your request out of your sheer annoying persistence. And if, that, and, and if it takes some time or God says no, rest in the assurance that he still, even beyond all that, he still has a perfect plan that he is working out for the good of those who love him. No matter what happens, he always still has a perfect plan that he is working out for the good of those who love him. I want to close this, this message with reiterating these words from Jesus in today's passage to you this week. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that it gives to us. I pray that if we're really struggling with something, if we're in uh, dealing with spiritual warfare, if we're dealing with unseen battles, Lord, I pray that we would have the confidence of knowing we can come to you and say, God, free me from this. Heal me from this. I know you say in your word you will do it. So, Lord, I pray that we would come to you with that confidence and not only just with spiritual warfare, but with anything that we're going through, with, with any hardship or difficulty that we're, that we're going through. We will come to you with confidence and with persistence and say, it's me again. I'm coming before you again to ask you to make a change and to do so with confidence, knowing that you can and often will do that. Lord, we thank you for being our good and perfect Father, and we thank you that you have a good and perfect plan, that no matter what happens with what we, what we ask you for, we know that you still have a perfect plan, and you're still working everything out for the good for those who love you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. As we close out this week's video service, keep your focus on Jesus. Know that no matter what you go through, He's still standing at the right hand of God. He's interceding for you. He's preparing a place for you. And he's waiting to welcome you with open arms. So know where Jesus is. Know what he's doing. Know what he's already done for you. That he's taken your place on the cross so that you can have all the riches of God's glory and of heaven's kingdom opened up for you. Rest in those promises. Rest in and that assurance. And as you do battle each day, as we go through these unseen spiritual battles, know that even when it looks the darkest, there's always hope. Though foes are mighty and may rush upon me, my feet are firm. And the only reason they are is because they're held by his grace. God has given you the power and the peace to weather through this storm, to be even stronger because of it through his Holy Spirit. And he's giving you the power to take what you're going through and to share that with somebody else. So as we close out our time, let us pour out our praise and worship to our Redeemer. I will glory This blood has ransomed me. Mine was the sin that drove the bitter nails. 
Grab hold of that power. Grab hold of that power that comes from the Holy Spirit within you. Now, I am going to win this battle. I am moving forward because Jesus rose from the dead and he is my hope and he is my confidence. And bring those requests up to God, knowing that he is your good and perfect father and knowing that he has a good and perfect plan and he is working everything out for the good for those who love him. Go in peace. Amen.